Trial, error, and better living in our relationships. That kind of sounds like everyday life, right? It's we try, we sometimes make mistakes, and sometimes it gets a little bit better. And we know this on, in all kinds of situations with all types of relationships that we have. We're, I'm not just talking romantic. I'm talking across the board. I remember when I was a kid, and my grandmother, she loved soap operas. Like her thing was One Life to Live, General Hospital. She had that on every single day at their appointed times. And what I found interesting was that it didn't matter how many episodes you missed. You could like pick it back up and knew exactly what had happened. But the relationships, everything that was happening relationally in the show was crazy. Like it felt like an other level. Yet, as I grew up, as I got older, I realized that those relationships in the soap operas didn't necessarily get as crazy as real life. We all have different types of relationships. We're all trying to negotiate. And so how do we try, fail, and even get to the point of where it's something better, something greater, that it moves us in new and different directions? And what's interesting as we are thinking about relationships of how are our relationships connected to God? Because this if we look at the story of Jesus, of the life, death, resurrection, it is all about relationships and how relationships are changed, how things are created, how new understandings come into being. And even if we think about all the ways that we describe God, all the different aspects of God, right? There's God the Creator, there's God the Christ, Jesus, there is God the Holy Spirit, there, we could even say creator, redeemer, and sustainer, that there's this sense that God is relational in God's self and that this relationship is in perfect harmony and it gives us a sense. It calls us into new ways of being in relationship, not only with God, but with everyone around us. And so today, as we're kind of navigating, looking at, is there a way to have better relationships, to live better into them? We're going to finish up the story with David and Abigail. David, Abigail, and Nabal. And remember, last week we actually started the story and we left it at a cliffhanger where David is ready to kill everybody. David is acting just as much a fool. Nabal's, mean, Nabal's name means fool. Nabal is acting like a fool. Nabal's response is not good. And yet David turns around and is like, I'm going to go after him. I want revenge. I want to spill blood. And Abigail gets brought in. Nabal's wife by a servant who says, you got to do something. We got to figure this out. And so Abigail is on the way to talk to David. And so that's where we're going to begin today. And how do we see the, all the dynamics at play? More than a soap opera. 
How do we understand all these different dynamics that we ourselves at some point experience? How do we begin to navigate and live better? So starting in 1 Samuel chapter 23 through 26. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and fell face down before him, bowing low to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Put the blame on me, my master. But please let me, your servant, speak to you directly. Please listen to what your servant has to say. Please, my master, pay no attention to this despicable man, Nabal. He's exactly what his name says he is. His name means fool, and he is foolish. But I myself, your servant, didn't see the young men that you, my master, sent. I pledge, my master, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, that the Lord has held you back from bloodshed and taking vengeance into your own hands. But now, now let your enemies and those who seek to harm my master be exactly like Nabal. So a few things happen, right? So Abigail comes up to David, David and his men who are like, bloodthirsty. They are ready for war. They are ready to do some damage. They are in this self-righteous, judgmental, it's all right, power-hungry kind of moment. And Abigail comes up to him, and the first thing that she does is she bows low. She gets off her donkey, face down, bowing low to the ground. We may be like, okay, like I'm a little uncomfortable with that action, like really? But what we have to understand is in ancient times, she was showing him respect. The respect that Nabal refused to show David. So she comes, she's like, okay, she's got to give some, a couple of things right off the bat. First, she's got to show him respect. And then she does something kind of interesting. She actually is like, hey, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness for Nabal. Nabal is a foolish man, and he's never going to ask it, and he's going to be a fool, and I am really sorry about that, and sorry I didn't head that off. I need some forgiveness. And this forgiveness, right, it may make us uncomfortable. You'd be like, well, Nabal should be asking. Nabal can't. Nabal's the fool. So Abigail's taking it upon herself and being like, listen, we need some forgiveness up in here. I'm willing to show you respect. We need forgiveness, though. I need that boundary drawn. We need forgiveness in return. My respect for your forgiveness so that all of us can live, so that there is no bloodshed, there is no vengeance, that all of these servants who had absolutely nothing to do with this moment, who cannot control Nabal, I can't control Nabal. She's like, we need you to like, whew, take a chill pill for just a moment and think about some forgiveness because there are a lot of lives being held in the balance in this moment. And then, so not only is she like, okay, here's some respect, but I, I need, I got boundaries. I need something in return. I need forgiveness. She then, though, makes this connection for David to God. I pledge my master, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, that the Lord has held you back from bloodshed and taking vengeance into your own hands. In this moment, she's turning on his head, hit, David on his head of going, listen, 
being connected to God, being connected to God means you're not doing the whole bloodshed thing. Being connected to God means you're not taking vengeance. But she does it in such a way that she is bringing wisdom to the moment. So not only does she bring respect, but now she's bringing some wisdom because she's trying to turn, she's trying to get through to David. That he's kind of acting like Nabal. And that when he's doing that, he isn't connected to God. But God is connected to not taking vengeance. God is connected to life. She is helping David see life around him. See her life as something that matters. And seeing life, understanding the life that is thriving, that abounds, that is pulsating all around us. Is connected to God. Continuing on in verses 27 through 31 of chapter 25. Here's a gift which your servant has brought to my master. Please let it be given to the young men who follow you, my master. Please forgive any offense by your servant. The Lord will definitely make an enduring dynasty for my master because my master fights the Lord's battles and nothing evil will be found in you throughout your lifetime. If someone chases after you and tries to kill you, my master, then your life will be bound up securely, securely in the bundle of life by the Lord your God. But he will fling away your enemies' lives as from the pouch of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master all the good that he has promised you and has installed you as Israel's leader, don't let this be a blot needlessly or that my master took vengeance into his own hands. When the Lord has done good things for my master, please remember your servant. So a couple of things are happening here, right? So Abigail, Abigail's already shown respect. She's already asked for something in return of forgiveness. Now she is going to give over. She's like, here's your gift. You have needs. You needed water. You needed food. You needed these provisions to survive. Here it is, David. I am bringing it to you, and I am going to bless you. I am going to bless you in such a way that your life will thrive, that that is the blessing that I place, that you are going to be connected to God, and that that your life for generations to come that you all will thrive. So here she's, she's bringing something more to David. But she asked for something in return once again. She says, when the Lord has done good things for my master, please remember your servant. And so in this moment, it's not just what can she do for David or what David can do for her in this moment she is setting up this relationship as mutual a mutually good healthy relationship she is like wait a minute this is about both of us coming into this and how does this mutuality work how are we setting this up she is creating the boundaries of the relationship she is creating the mutual respect if he'll take it now Abigail doesn't know how David's going to react. She cannot choose how David's going to react. She cannot choose the path for David. Only David can do that. 
but she is setting up the parameters. And for ourselves, when we're thinking about that, when we're thinking about our own relationships of where is there the respect? How are we setting up the parameters? How are we having boundaries within relationships? Is there a mutuality to them or not? It's one of those things that we really need to question because we have all types of relationships. And sometimes those things that are closest to us, those things where we need healthy relationships, they are connected to mutuality. It is not one giving so much that they deplete themselves or the other, right? There is mutual respect here. And so Abigail is calling David into that. Abigail is imparting some wisdom that David needs to take about relationships, about how to do this, about how to kind of go forward, about how to take a step back and go, hold up, wait a minute, I need to question this. I need to question how is this relationship working? How does this relationship need to work? How can we go forward in the circumstance that we find ourselves in? Continuing on in verses 32 through 35, David said to Abigail, Bless the Lord God of Israel who sent you to me today and bless you and your good company for preventing me from shedding blood and taking vengeance into my own hands today. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the one who kept me from hurting you, if you hadn't come quickly and met up with me, there wouldn't be one single male left come morning. Then David accepted everything she had brought for him. Return home in peace, he told her. Be assured that I heard your request and have agreed to it. All right, so this is like the best response, right? This is, she has set up the parameters, she has shown respect, but she has said, this is what I need in return. And David says, you know what? I'm going to offer you a blessing as well. You have blessed me. You have changed my perspective. You have put me on another course. You have helped me to accept What in the world is going on except the choices that I was making and the destruction that I was bringing, and now I am going to bless your life. I am going to listen. I have heard you, Abigail. And so that's kind of right. That's really kind of cool to think about. It's kind of cool to think about how David accepts what he has done. David accepts how he has acted. David accepts that he was so disconcerted that he was ready for bloodshed. He has accepted this connection ever so slightly to Nabal. Because last week we talked about, right, David became the fool when David's like, I'm going to take vengeance. I want power. I want to show you. And here we're seeing David go, okay, that probably wasn't the best path. And yeah, it definitely is not connected to God. What's connected to God is me being stopped. It's saying, hold up. This is not how this is supposed to work. I have heard you, Abigail, and now I am on a different path. And so the mutuality of blessing of both of being able to hear one another, of being able to go, okay, wait a minute, we are in this together. And that relationship, 
How does that relationship begin to make space for new possibility, for a way forward that wasn't possible before? Abigail's actions, David's responses, the way that they are setting this up out of respect with boundaries is putting them in new places, is putting them in new relationship, is making space in their relationship for something different. Verses 36 through 38. When Abigail got back home to Nabal, he was throwing a party, fit for a king in his house. Nabal was in a great mood and very drunk. So Abigail didn't tell him anything until daybreak. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him everything. Nabal's heart failed inside him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So what's important here is Abigail took the agencies that she had, she took that risk of, I've got to do something. How can I enter into this relationship? How can I choose life, not just for myself, but for everyone around me? What is it that I can do? And she does it. David listens. Life has been chosen between the two of them. And now she's going to be real about it. She's not going to keep it from Nabal. She could have, right? She could have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know the guy. David, did he like leave the region? I don't know. No. Instead, Abigail is honest. She is honest with Nabal about her actions. She is honest about the things that she has done, how she has chosen life. She is real and authentic in this moment, which also shows how Nabal doesn't choose life. And this great symbolism, his heart turned to stone. His heart failed him. Abigail chose life. Nabal doesn't. And so it's soon after where Nabal dies. And there's this line that maybe kind of makes us a little bit uncomfortable. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And we're like, ooh, he struck Nabal. The Lord struck Nabal and he died. Ooh. But we could read that a different way. Instead of reading that, As God striking, be like, you worthless piece of, I don't want you anymore. Instead, we could read it as that even as Nabal cannot choose life, Nabal cannot look beyond his own power, greed, comfort, his own destructive decisions. He cannot admit that he was wrong. He cannot accept that he may be a fool sometimes. That Nabal, as he chooses death, That's what Nabal's choosing. Nabal is choosing death and destruction. He is choosing to remain in this unhealthy relationship with himself and everyone around him. As he chooses that, God is still with him. God is still with him till death. God is still with him through death. We could see it as that merciful God who is present with us even when we've made some really bad decisions. 
And sometimes we hit on kind of what's going on right here, even in our own moments where maybe we know somebody who is at the end of their life, they're getting close to death, but they are suffering. There, there's a lot of pain involved, and then they die, and we're like, it, it's a, a relief in the sense that they are no longer suffering. Nabal is no longer suffering, perpetuating, living in this pain because he could never choose life, it seems. So God was with him to the end, even when he couldn't choose life. Finishing up in verses 39 through 42. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Bless the Lord who has rendered a verdict regarding Nabal's insult to me and who kept me his servant from doing something evil. The Lord has brought Nabal's evil down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail saying that he would take her as his wife. When David's servants reached Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you so you can become his wife. She bowed down low to the ground and said, I'm your servant ready to serve and wash the feet of my master's helpers. Then Abigail got up quickly and rode on her donkey with her young women going with her. She followed David's messengers and became his wife. All right, so... David's response right here to Nabal. David's response is really kind of what David does. Like every now and then he makes a really good decision. And then there are other times where he is taking joy in death. He is taking joy in somebody else's destruction. And he still thinks the world kind of revolves around him, which is part of the problem of Nabal. He thinks his entire world revolves around him and he doesn't care about anyone else. And so here, David kind of slips into some of those old habits where he's like, hey, I'm the center of the universe. I'm so glad God took vengeance for me. Look at Nabal, he's dead. And we have to go, whoop, wait, whoop. Let's take, a, let's take a moment here. And what's important to know is that as David struggles, David struggles at, constantly with this. David is very human, just like the rest of us struggling, that David is still going to make some poor decisions. He is still going to make those decisions that ultimately keep him from building the temple. In fact, the story goes that he can't build the temple because he has shed too much blood, because he has made so many poor decisions that there are certain consequences for those decisions. And so we see the imperfections. We continue to see the imperfection of David. Yet, yet he is going to honor the request of Abigail. Remember a few verses back, we said, when the Lord has done good things for my master, please remember your servant. Abigail's put it out there. She's like, if anything happens, remember me. And David's like, okay, 
I, I remember you, you can come and be my wife. And that again, it may make us in our modern ears a little uncomfortable, but what we have to remember is that women in the ancient world were in precarious situations when their husbands died and maybe there's not a male heir. And we could read this, right, that it's one more thing for David to stick it to Nabal because he's like, nope, I get all your stuff now and your wife. Or, or we could see something different in this because there was the mutuality because Abigail did ask earlier, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget me when things are going along. And David doesn't. We could see this as them creating the space, as them bringing the new possibility, as making something new, that their relationship, that even though they've come from a place of pain, of bad decision-making, of of trying to negotiate this moment of whatever situation they find themselves in, that they are going to create a relationship of something new. And how often are we making space in all types of relationships, in all kinds of ways, for making something new, for the possibility for bringing us together in ways that we could have never imagined, of bringing us together in ways that unify and make us stronger. Because Abigail, she's got some wisdom here that David often is in need of. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. We're all going to screw things up sometimes. We're all going to make something really cool and so how do we intentionally begin to do that? How do we intentionally begin to move into our relationships, all kinds of them, and be able to make space for new possibilities, be able to have that mutuality, that respect, be able to cultivate that into something new and wonderful, be able to bring people together that we thought impossible. In today's bulletin or you may have if you found the liturgy on our website you may notice that there's this statement it's called the Belhar statement of faith and and that's part of the Presbyterian confessions it's a part of our book of confessions and the confessions are meant to give us language to help us understand all the different ways that we are connected to God. Help us to understand who God is in our lives, how God is at work in the world. It, and they come at different periods of time throughout history because it's this sense that at different times we need to say it a little bit differently. We need to think about it a little bit differently. But part of the statement today, and I'm going to read it in just a moment, part of the statement today really kind of hits on what's going on with David and Abigail. Right? They, they are from two different worlds of sorts. They are brought together in a moment of pain, and they are going to have to create and bring together, and they have a choice to do that, just as we saw Nabal had a choice, and he wasn't going to choose that. That they realize that somehow God is connecting them and moving them in new ways. And so here's a, a couple lines from this statement of faith. That unity is, therefore, both a gift and an obligation for the church of Jesus Christ. 
that through the working of God's Spirit, it is a binding force, yet simultaneously a reality which must be earnestly pursued and sought. So this thought of relationship and unity of how God is bringing us together, how the work, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is this reconciliation of saying, no, we can be in relationship with one another. We can figure this out. We can figure out how to go forward. We can figure out how to make space. David and Abigail realized the gift and they sense the obligation. They sense that now they must push forward. Now they must push forward in different ways, that they must make this space and navigate and so for ourselves, as we're thinking about the, all the different types of relationships that we're in and where that respect and where those boundaries and how we're creating space for new and different things, that as our relationships go, that we can begin to make that space we, because we realize that the relationships that we have are a gift and yet we are told also and challenged to go out and make more to cultivate those relationships, to be able to bring new space because that is connected to God. And so with Abigail and David, there is this connection now, not only between them, but this connection of how God is with them, how God is moving them in new and creative ways, how God is moving them into new possibilities into their life, how God is moving them forward out of this pain, out of this challenge, out of this situation into something new because they are choosing life. They are choosing to be in relationship. They are choosing a way forward. And so for ourselves, what about David and Abigail's story kind of hits us, challenges us, upholds us, goes, wait a minute, I think I may have been on that path. Oh, okay, all right, I've been doing some of this, but I still need to. What about the trial, error, and living better of Abigail and David challenges us this day while at the same time giving us hope that we can do it too? that we can go forward and create relationships, create new possibilities, create new connections that just aren't about us, but about how we are connected to God. Amen.